Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. Major news today with the announcement by Atlassian that they have partnered with Slack to murder HipChat mercilessly. <laughs> I'm Ryan Spilkin, and joining me today are Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, it's been so long. Great to see you. Hi. Nice of you to finally come back to work, Ryan. Oh, you know. We missed you. <laughs> I wouldn't use the term work quite so uh, quite so liberally there. And joining us today, our special Fisheye Crucible correspondent, Johnny Carter. Johnny Carter. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Great, Ryan. Uh, podcast listeners, you can't see this, but I'm actually standing on a beach wearing a slicker right now. Wait, what's a slicker? You know, like it's what he's wearing, thing. Ryan. The, the weather people, we wear the slicker. Oh, okay. Well, keep in mind, Special I'm going to correspondent. I'm either reporting severe weather, severe factory weather, weather, <laughs> and Fecru has an update today, but we'll we'll get to that soon, guys. This this news about Slack. Wow, I. So it was last week, and I know we don't really put a big date on this, but so it was last week, it was the end of my vacation, and I'm just chilling on the couch, I take a quick peek through the news, and I get to the technology section, and of course when an Atlassian article pops up in my, my news feed, I'm, I'm very interested, but then I read what it said, and it was like, oh, how do you guys feel? I was very surprised at first. Um I guess I guess thinking about it now, it, it makes sense for Atlassian to make this move. But at first, I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I had to read it again, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I read it a third time, and I was like, "They really—they're doing this." So it's—it it really kind of caught me off guard. I think it caught a lot of people off guard. We've certainly seen some interesting comments on the Atlassian community, um, but I, I think it just surprised pretty much everybody. I feel like it made more sense a year ago. Um, I was surprised <laughs> after all the investment, after the big stride promo at Summit last year, uh, it, it definitely caught me off guard. I, it was a bit jaw-dropping to see this. Now, I use Slack as well, in addition to HipChat and actually Stride. We just signed up for a Stride account two weeks ago. Um, I was excited to finally start using Stride. But, um, you know, I like Slack. We've talked about it on the podcast before. It's got a lot of positive features. Uh, but it definitely surprised me to see this coming now. And it, it makes me wonder uh, what other trade-offs Atlassian might be making. Now, I think it's the messenger is the only area where they really had like some really strong competition, you know? Um, so I get it. Like I, I get why they're doing it, but there are certain features of stride that I was excited for. And I'm a little disappointed. They're not going to be there anymore. Same Johnny. Yeah, I'll confess, I was largely nonplussed. Um, I mean, I have been, you know, um, essentially happily using HipChat for some time. And uh, there, you know, there were some problems as far as uh, resolving failed network connections. If you were on spotty Wi-Fi, it wasn't the best chat app. And I assumed that Stride, uh, in addition to the features that we were all excited to use, like decisions and things, uh, was just going to resolve that and be the next evolution. Mm -hmm. um, that said, 
I feel about chat almost like I feel about email. Uh, at the end of the day, besides putting a halfway decent UI on it and um, a font, you know, it's just, it's not changed that much if any of us are honest. What we want from it is pretty much the same thing we wanted from it in 1995. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm perhaps a little contrarian in that regard. I mean, I, I understand the importance of innovation. And maybe if I actually had to go back and use a 1995 era chat app, I would feel differently about the matter. But as it is, I don't think I'm going to notice. No party parrots in frank. 1995, Johnny. I, I was going to say, I think the major concern from those of us at Adaptivist is how will we migrate all our emoticons over to Slack? It is funny when you highlight that, Johnny, because I haven't thought back to the 90s recently in terms of chat, but there is not a vast difference between hip chat and talkers on Telnet. Like we had chat rooms, we had private messages, you could create a new room. I mean, ditto for, for IRC. There hasn't been a lot of evolution. The main things, and this is what I was excited about in Stride, was decisions and actions and things like that. Uh, and in Slack, I've really been enjoying the threads, being able to respond to a thread and not have it show up in the main room. So, you know, integration with video will be nice, being able to have that more stable. So the big thing that 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 everyone, or not everyone, but lots of people in the space, and there is one very particularly livid customer and community, but the people who cannot reach the cloud, those who need an on-premises solution, there's only really, there's there's only one answer right now, and it's Microsoft and oh, so yeah. do you? So we're prognosticating. We're looking into the future. Do you see Slack rolling out an enterprise model? I don't. I don't. And the reason is when you build cloud first, it typically builds in an architecture that doesn't work on a on a local server, uh, and vice versa. Um, there's just some architecture things that make that very difficult. Um, so I mean, Slack may. Here's what I'm wondering. As I understand it, they've they've acquired the IP of HipChat and Stride. Um, maybe there will be a new thing. You know, maybe they will take Stride or take parts of it, and in a year or two, we will have that server solution. But I suspect we're going to go into a, a period where Microsoft Teams is it. Um, and for the people who are behind a firewall where they can't get out of their air gap or something like that, I don't I don't know what the solution is for them other than running like a local IRC server or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there are other hosted chat app solutions out there. Um, IRC, you know, being kind of the, uh, speaking of 1995, being kind <laughs> of the, the, the bog standard or, or some implementation thereof. Um, I, will, I will challenge something you said, Matthew, uh, just mm -hmm. as, as a developer with a pinhead um, who can say sentences that start with actually a lot. Um, Where's your fedora? There was a really good talk um, at Summit Europe, uh, not uh, obviously not this year, but the last uh, time on uh, running, taking your app from uh, server to cloud and vice versa. If you have a cloud app, how to take it to server. And some of the development tools that have become you know hot and trendy in the past few years, like Docker, are really changing the calculus on how well you can take your service that exists in the cloud and move it behind a customer's firewall. Now, I think there's a lot of room for people to actually go do that stuff. But I wouldn't count it out as a possibility. Yeah. And even as I was speaking, I was thinking to myself, well, Docker makes that pretty easy. But when I think about Slack and when it, how long it's been around, like Slack predates Docker. 
I don't think it was built with that type of, um, what would you call that containerization? Like, I don't think it was built with that, um, as the foundation. So like if you're building a new cloud app today, I think you could build it in a way, or if it's, it's, but you know, when you think about something that was built for, um, multinational, you know, uh, addressing multinational latency and things like that, like it's just taking things into account that you don't get on a, a single box. Um, and I, again, yeah, I'm not an expert in this. It's just, I've, I've heard from people who are in other areas. I haven't heard talk about Slack specifically other than the, the, all the questions being asked last week, is Slack going to do this? And then references to Slack in the past saying, no, we are not. Um, they've been pretty clear up to this point. That's not an area they're interested in investing in. And realistically, and, and this is always the trade-off in, in product management, you look at the size of your different customer bases. And when it comes to instant messenger, which is messaging over the web, you tend to assume a customer base that can get access to the web and the niche market of those who can't get access to the web. That's pretty small. I don't, I'm not confident that there are going, that all of the enterprises that require lockdown, the government institutions that require things to mm-hmm. be walled off. I don't know if they're all going to line up to, to knock on Microsoft's door. So I wonder if, if Slack does not decide to, to enter the enterprise space in that way, who does? It's definitely an opportunity for a new player to enter the space. Um, whether they can do it profitably, I think that's, that's a big challenge. Um, and, and profit is one of the interesting things with this whole story because HipChat was free for the cloud. Uh, and Stride was going to be too. Slack is pretty expensive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at certain organizations that are going to be looking at 30 to 60,000 for instant messenger. And that's, that's a lot to pay for IM when, when you weren't paying it before. Mm, mm. Well, for more on the Slack Atlassian partnership, we will of course link to the announcement from Atlassian in our SoundCloud description. And there's also a great blog from our own Simon Hayton Williams on the Adaptivist site, which is worth a read. Simon goes into the pragmatism that went behind the decision and some speculation from his speculation on what might come in the future and some of the drawbacks as well. So we'll link that for you. Um, Simon always has an interesting point of view. Yeah. And notably at the bottom, there's been an update to this blog post in just the last day or so. Uh, we now have the end of life dates for all of the different HipChat products. So for those of you who are already on HipChat server, you're hosting it locally. Um, you've, you've likely got until, especially if you're on the latest version, you have until June 2020. So you got a bit of time to work out your migration and uh, where you're going to go from here. All right. Uh, let's let's go around the Atlassian ecosystem for a little bit more news. The whole reason we brought uh, Johnny Carter in today was to discuss updates to Fisheye and Crucible, something that has not done been done in quite some time, well over a year since there have been updates to Fikru. So, and Matthew and I have um, precisely zero experience with the, the product. So Johnny and Brenda are are able to go from there. So guys, what do you think the big things that Fisheye Crucible users will get from these updates? Yeah. So, I mean, if you go over the release notes, and I assume we'll be linking those in the show notes oh, yeah. later, it's not a ton. Um, it is noteworthy that uh, there's a lot of what I call um, relevance updates, that is compatibility with later versions of Git and Mercurial. Um 
And uh, other than that, a couple new big features, multi-issue linking for Crucible. So it's uh, become a bit easier and more straightforward to link multiple Jira issues to a given code review, um, which makes sense that that gels well with how uh, Crucible as a code review tool still somewhat differentiates itself from Bitbucket Server. Um, in that, in Bitbucket Server, if you're doing a code review, it's part of a pull request or at least uh, part of viewing a difference between branches. Uh, Crucible gives you a little more flexibility and you can just bring in arbitrary files, um, differences over a much wider range of Git commits. So given that Crucible's uh, differentiating factor for code review is flexibility, it makes sense to be able to bring in multiple Jira issues as well. With Fisheye, um, again, the same compatibility updates are there because at the end of the day, the, the products are pretty closely married. Um, they've, they've also added some caching improvements for uh, viewing Git blame information. This may sound like not a big deal, but I think it reflects a step in the right direction. One of the big pain points uh, with fisheye users is if you have a significantly large source control system that you're dealing with. Performance can be a problem. And so anything they can do in the way of caching improvements is going to dramatically improve the user experience. Um, this is for a very specific uh, subset, which is Git blames. Um, that said, I think it, it represents a good step forward for how the product can continue to stay relevant. For dummies like me, I'm assuming a Git blame is not like where you're angry at something Git did and you're trying to figure out like, what did you do, Git? Well, that's totally what, what it wrong. is, isn't it? I mean, it's got to, like, why would you use the word blame? Yeah, so uh, blame is to some degree uh, what it says on the tin. I mean, it's, it's a way of finding out information about who changed a file and when. Um, it, of course, like most Git commands, can be... Uh, twisted and used in ways far beyond its intent. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what uh, blame is about, is when did this change occur? When did this uh, breaking change occur? Mm. Which is a big, uh, for, for large projects especially, it's a really important factor in source control, which is uh, being able to answer historical questions. When did this change? Why? Um, we may want to revert the change, but if we do that, what feature are we going to knock out? So those kinds of questions are, are the things you might start to figure out with Git blame. Or who was the expert who made this change that is now a problem? Let's go ask them why they made that change, because there may very well be a good reason. Why do you think it took them so long to update these two products? If you look at the change log, it's well over a year since there was an update to either one. Do either of you have any thoughts on this? And have they done enough in these updates? So from my perspective, um, a, a lot of the people that are using Fekru have been using it for a long time and, and haven't necessarily needed changes to it. Um, and most of the clients that we've been working with since joining Adaptivist um, have been going to Bitbucket. So I think it, there's sort of been this mentality of, you know, it's, it's Fekru, it's working, don't change it, don't need to change it, we don't need to update it. And I think that maybe there's because there are still, you know, a lot of people using these two products together that maybe someone at Elastium went, hey, we should probably support some of these later versions of Git and Mercurial. Um, I, I sort of at one point had the impression that Atlassian was just going to kind of let them go. 
but I, I, I definitely feel like there's enough people still using them that it's probably worth their time to at least bring in some of these updates periodically. I would agree with that. Uh, it's no secret that the the feature difference between Bitbucket Server or Bitbucket Cloud and Fisheye Crucible gets smaller uh, with every update to the Bitbucket platforms, um, including things like code search, which didn't used to exist in Bitbucket Server at all. Uh, it's now a main feature. It's not quite as complex or robust as the Fisheye search, uh, but in some ways, that's exactly what you want out of search is a simple type something into a text box, get what I want back. Uh, and I think that's um, reflective of the direction that development on those is headed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to be blunt, as long as people will continue to pay money for it, I'm sure Atlassian will be happy to crank out compatibility updates. Uh, in terms of delivering new features, though, it does seem like their their focus for years now has been on putting the features that people want out of Fisheye Crucible into Bitbucket Server and Bitbucket Cloud. Whether that's intentional or not, uh, that certainly seems to be what is in fact happening. It's also worth noting that they've updated the color scheme and all the logos in the products in these new versions. Mm -hmm. we're, we're big on those things. I don't find knock it. An Atlassian, Atlassian design uh, has for years been the things that's separated their products from particularly open source competitors, right? So that was the thing that made Bamboo better than Jenkins. It was the thing that made Jira better than Bugzilla and so on. Um, so, I mean, it, it sounds silly <laughs> and like, a, like a, a merely cosmetic change, but don't underestimate the importance of cosmetic changes. Johnny, thank you for actually giving us some context because every time we've brought up the logos on the podcast, we've really been kind of joking. But you're absolutely right. This is what we get with new perspectives, folks. This is what we get. So glad you're here, Johnny. So Ryan, on the other end of the spectrum, in terms of frequency of updates, Atlassian Cloud. They, they can't stop updating cloud. They crank it out. And it's funny, um, looking through their changes this week, there's one in particular we've talked about in the last several podcasts, which is the automation to agility projects or specifically agility boards. And um, this automation builds in effectively some uh, post functions to make changes to the issues when you transition. It's, it's sort of evolving that, but the update that's here is the same one we talked about two weeks ago. So um, issue priority and description, uh, that is all new and also the same. Um, so that's, that's exciting. Um, the, the other new, big completely static, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is interesting. And one of the things we haven't talked about, but that is, um, that is a change here is in the past Atlassian has sort of relied on partners or, or add on vendors or app vendors, whatever we're calling them now uh, to fill gaps in the product. And they've, they've kind of tried to not, you know, come back and, and put functionality into the core product that has met by an app. Right. Uh, but filling in fields, making changes to things, you know, as part of the post function in the workflow, uh, there's, you know, several add-ons that do that and Elastin's building that into the core product. So we're, we're seeing them, you know, they're, they're working with this very specifically agility project, uh, context for the automation, but it does beg the question of where else will Atlassian start building automation in uh, to, the, to the workflow going forward. I find it interesting that with as flexible as agility boards are 
um, proclaim to be that they're giving you the ability to add automation to a board that can change any time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so sure. it says fill out this field when issue moves from column A to column B. What if column B gets switched to become column C or we get rid of column B because we weren't using what happens to that rule? Do they, do they yeah. have safeguards built in? I mean, it's built, it's going to be set on the transition. So it's just whatever the new incoming transition is. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question that will haunt the dreams of Jira admins who are not me not <laughs> anymore. Um, Service Desk has this this statement: the the knowledge base is full page now. Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, have you ever used Service Desk knowledge bases? I have, I have, and I liked that it didn't take up my entire page to get just a list of suggested things that I may not want to click on. But I haven't seen it. I, I haven't been on cloud to see this change. Maybe it's awesome. If you have cloud along with Service Desk and Confluence and a hooked up knowledge base, and, and you can see this change, reach out to us at learnandadaptivist.com. Uh, we'd love to hear the impression because like we can go out and create a cloud account. I do that every once in a while. We can get a seven-day trial, play around with it, um, but I'm not using it day in, day out. So for those of you who are actually using Service Desk with a Confluence knowledge base and uh, this, is, this is how you get business done, it would be awesome to have you on the podcast. Or, you know, if you don't want to join, just send us an email uh, so we can share that with our listeners. Send that to learn at adaptivist.com. Another interesting update uh, on the, the more frequent update side is Bitbucket Server 5.12. In this, Atlassian has conquered a demon that social media giants have not been able to slay, and that is chronological replies. I see very little else interesting here, but I think it's it's funny. Um, and that was really all that I had to say about that is that you can get chronological replies where you need it, but not where you want it. I don't know if this is the right time to rant about Facebook, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm it's gonna always go the right time. <laughs> <laughs> Just yesterday, it's, I do this so often where I glance at something, I navigate away and I think to myself, oh, I want to go back and see what that was. And Facebook's algorithm now prioritizes showing you things you haven't seen before. So you go back to look at it and now you're going to see everything you haven't seen before instead of that one thing that you're like, oh, I want to go back and view that. I'm a huge fan of chronology and chronological, you have seen chronological comments, replies. I just want to scroll through and see everything. I, I don't want you to try and do my thinking for me. Um, so I'm, I always welcome things like this. And from what I understand, it's, devilishly difficult to do actually like any type of threading of of stuff is you know to make it look nice in particular um, because we've had threading through bbs message boards forever but to make it easy to navigate and to parse and to, to progress through um, that's a big user experience challenge uh, so it's like johnny was saying earlier uh lastly in prioritizing that that type of user experience quality of life improvement i think it's definitely a good direction to go and as someone who's been on a pull request uh, with comments kind of buried down the chain, I can, I can speak to the utility of this. Um, hoisting up new comments, uh, especially in a long discussion thread, is helpful. I can safely say I've never heard the phrase hoisting up comments before, but it sounds properly priority, so I approve. Johnny is Arr. often hoisted on his own comment. In, in fairness... This is actually the verbiage they use in their release notes as well. So, at last, really? are the true pirates here? So, 
Yeah, Mike Cannon Brooks, Somalian pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. He's the captain now. Mike, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> you could have gone with a cannon pun and instead you went to Somalia. <laughs> In fairness, like way more topical when you're talking about pirates, like which which, which is the most recent pirate that but an opportunity for a cannon pun and Ryan let it slip by. You know, it's always, I would have there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Matthew, you referenced the adaptivist blog earlier in the podcast. And I just wanted to point out that, uh, you know, there's a, a recent blog post, uh, that's, very pertinent to you. It's a discussion of the new Jira software courses. Would you like to share anything about that? I did write that. Uh, sure. So uh, we've mentioned Adaptivist Learn on the podcast a few times. It's online video-based training that we um, have been working on for the last year now, really to serve really large customers. Like if you get 1,000, 5,000, 20,000 Atlassian users, it's, it's hard to train them. So we've been building this video training. And a year in, uh, we've kind of reached this big milestone of we now have training for the vast majority of the end users at your business. Uh, and the, the final ones we did were Jira software. So we've got three Jira software courses, beginner, scrum, and Kanban, and uh, really cover everything you need to know. The, the parts of it that I'm most proud of and excited about are the stuff on reporting. And Ryan got to see a little bit of this uh, yesterday or today. Um, Jira software reports are sometimes really challenging to understand and to interpret and to use, and particularly the control chart. I think out of all of our training, there are nine reports in Jira software. And I think we spent, like of all the time we spend on those nine reports, half of the time is spent on the control chart by itself. That being said, it is, I learned more from the, from working on the videos on our reports than I did in business school. I have a business degree and I learn more from our courses in interpreting that data than I ever did. So the control chart alone, like learning the intricacies of, of that, it's not like, you know, it's not rocket surgery, but it is certainly a report that when you first open it can be a little overwhelming. Our breakdown of that is the best I've ever seen. And I, I'm so, I'm pleased, I'm proud as punch or pleased as yeah. punch. Either way, Prop, props to Krista Parker, Renee Brown. Um, they really, they're the heroes here. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm just pleased uh, that we, we've got this. We've now got training on software and service desk and portfolio and core and confluence and all these different things. And uh, next for us, we're going to update the beginner courses. Um, we update our courses pretty regularly. And I think it was February last time we updated those. So we're going to give those the old uh, spit polish and uh, bring them up for the newest versions of the interface. And then it's on to Jira Admin. And that's going to be a phenomenal course that is going to give learners everything they need to be certified as a Jira administrator. Everything and more. Well, thanks everyone for listening today. If you have questions for us or you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please, please, please email us at learn at adaptivist.com. A quick special note, this is our 50th episode. Hooray! So if you've been with us since the beginning, we thank you so much. And uh, if we're ever in your town, uh, we'll buy you a drink. Uh, that being said... 
Catch us next time on Adaptivist Live. And for Matthew Stubblefield, Brenda Burl, and our special guest, Johnny Carter, we thank you very much. See you next time. Our little baby Jeff Jeff is all grown up. Well, that's a, yeah. You realize he's the same age as me. I don't know whether he's hurt <laughs> no, because I, I don't, don't actually like is. puppies or like. As is Matthew. Y'all get off my lawn. <laughs>